on this episode of the London Lyceum. We talk with Dr. Michael Sharetti about Ann Dutton and spirituality. So we cover all sorts of topics like who in the world is Ann Dutton and why does she matter for spirituality? What was her vision of spirituality and how might that have differences between those throughout the history of the church? Does she view her position or view of spirituality as normative? What were the most controversial aspects of Dutton's life? How did she use her theological mind into the service of the church? And so much more. As always, if you have thoughts about the episode or ideas or requests for the show in general, hit us up Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or check us out at our website, thelondonlyceum.com. Now for the only analytic, Baptist, and confessional podcast on the planet, we think this one's going to get you thinking. Well, I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of the London Lyceum. I am one of your hosts, Jordan Stefaniak. And I'm your co-host, Brandon Askew. And we're a podcast is devoted to serious thinking for a serious church. And in doing that, we've tried to create and cultivate an intellectual culture that prizes things like charity, curiosity, critical thinking, and cheerful confessionalism. So when we say those things together, we really do want to hold critical thinking, serious, hard, rigorous work alongside charity and curiosity, being interested in all sorts of things, while also taking our own confessional commitments and saying, wow, we're excited and happy about these because we think these can serve other people and benefit their lives. Now, with that said, I'm really excited to introduce you all to our guest today, Dr. Michael Sharetti. Um, this is going to be a lot of fun. So we're going to be talking a little bit about spirituality, a little bit about Ann Dutton. Um, so we're getting some Baptist sort of stuff in here because we're, you know, analytic Baptist confessional sort of podcast. So anytime we can get Baptist stuff in here, that's fun. So I'm pumped to learn more about these topics. Before we do that, though, Dr. Sharetti, I'm imagining 85% of our listeners don't know who you are. So give us a little bit of a bio or synopsis, and then maybe tell me a little bit about what made you interested in thinking and studying people like Ann Dutton. Great, yeah. Um, well, uh, thanks, uh, you all. I'm currently the pastor and director of the Center for Christian Spirituality, which is in Houston, Texas. Uh, and it's also a ministry of Chapelwood United Methodist Church. Um, and I've been here since 2018. Uh, the center is a, a contemplative Christian community, and um, we're dedicated to helping people deepen their awareness of God that makes a difference and who they are with God, self, others, and the creative world. Um, I'm married to Rachel, who is also an associate pastor here. Uh, at the center in Chapelwood, uh, we have uh, two daughters and a son. I've served uh, in churches um, in Texas and Virginia. Um, I grew up in Shreveport, um, nurtured in a couple of different Southern Baptist churches there, felt a call to ministry when I was 17, um, and had a kind of a crisis of faith in, in college and um, where my experience of Christianity to that point, um, I'd become kind of disillusioned with. And um, and anyway, that catapulted me to learning more, wanting to learn more about spiritual formation and the contemplative dimension of Christianity. That led me to um, Baylor Seminary, Truett Seminary, um, and uh, to explore some further training in um, spiritual formation, spiritual direction, and and ultimately um, to study the history of Christian spirituality uh, through Baylor's religion department. And that's where I discovered uh, Ann Dutton. 
So maybe we could start with just a, a brief bio of Ann Dutton. I think a lot of our listeners probably, well, a lot of them probably don't know who she is at all, but some of our listeners who are more into English Baptist history may know the name, they may know a little bit about her, but um, largely she's not as well known as, as you know many other figures from uh, the 18th century Baptist. So just lay out a little bit about her life, if you don't mind. Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, I first discovered her, I was at a... Um... I was in a Baptist uh, seminar, a graduate seminar, and uh, Dr. William Brackney um, brought in a stack of books um, for us to do a book review on because he was the editor of a particular journal at that time. And and um, I I was drawn to this um, big, thick volume um, of spiritual letters on spiritual subjects um, by Ann Dutton. Um, it had been recently published and I was interested in spirituality. And so I, I, um, started reading, um, that book and, um, it was fat. She was fascinating the what, what she was talking about and the different imagery she was using. And so, um, that led me to go further into, to, um, her spirituality. Um, but a little bit about her bio. Um, she was born at the end of the 17th century in 1692, um, she was nurtured in uh, congregational churches. Um, she uh, she had a kind of a deathbed conversion experience when she was 13. Um, and then uh, at 15, she um, <laughs> coming home disillusioned from a prayer meeting. She had a kind of um, kind of a post conversion, a full settled assurance of of salvation experience that was very formative uh, for her and. And what she learned in that experience really shaped the rest of her spirituality. Um, she talked about it as being sealed in the spirit, and that became a, a key teaching of hers. Um, and uh, she um, she eventually became convinced of believer's baptism and, uh, and um, joined a Baptist church, met her first husband there who only who died just a few years later and then she met her second husband who was a baptist minister um they they made quite the uh the team it seems and they they both both felt called a great grandson um and uh that's where um she lived the rest of her life and and she felt a real call to ministry um at that time and so this this called a great grandson for her um was uh, a very significant uh, formative experience for her where she felt like God was personally um, saying to her, do you love me? We'll feed my lambs. And that was another one of her practices of um, a kind of experiential biblicism, almost like a mysticism of the word where just in the, the palace memory of her mind, just scriptures just being saturated in scriptures, just these words of power and of promise would drop in her mind and would give her really spiritual direction um, for what she felt God was wanting her to do. And and she unpacks that in her spiritual autobiography. Um, and, and that became a real launching point for her writing career. And you know, by the time she had died in 1765, she had seen, I think, 50 or so of her books published. Um, about half of those were letter books, uh, just letters that she wrote to various people um, and uh, and that she recorded her own letters and then eventually 
developed, um, published those as letter books. Her, the, um, the real golden decade for her was the 1740s um, and where she was really launched into the, um, the early years of the evangelical revival and, and became a transatlantic spiritual director really through the influence of George Whitfield. Howell, Howell Harris and George Whitfield were two early champions of hers and Whitfield especially connected her to, um, to uh, some of his um, uh, converts in the colonies. And she, she had a, a very um, strong but anonymous presence in uh, the first evangelical magazine um, that was published in the 1740s. And um, so uh, she, um, my, my emphasis with, with Ann Dutton um, was trying to show that she f consciously functioned as a spiritual director in the early years of the evangelical revival. Um, and so we don't often hear about lay spiritual directors, especially in the Protestant spiritual tradition, and especially not women spiritual directors. And, um, and I think that's really what she saw herself as. So I first heard about your PhD thesis from Michael Haken and just full disclosure, I've not read the whole thing, but I have skimmed through quite a bit of it. And you, you okay. so you mentioned uh, here just now that, you know, and you do this in the, in the thesis that you classify her as a spiritual director. Um, and then you, you also mm -hmm. kind of say that she's, uh, I don't, maybe I'm not wording this the right way, but you kind of put her in the same line as like um, so, some of the earlier mystics. And so when I think mm -hmm. uh, about, um, high Calvinism among English Baptists, like my mind doesn't go to um, mysticism. So help me like kind of situate her in her context. And then also, can you give us a definition of what a, of what a spiritual director is? Cause that's a word that's going to come up a lot and it's not one that I think maybe is used that often in our circles. So our listeners might need a definition for that. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, well, first of all about, you know, her, um, mysticism. And I, I mentioned this earlier. It was really a, a mysticism of the word. Um, and the word um, as uh, the spirit dropping these aspects of the scripture, these words of power, these words of promise into her mind and her heart. And she felt like the spirit was um, personally applying that word to her. Um, she clearly had, um, intense, uh, experiences of God, uh, where she experienced God as a, a kind of an ocean of mercy that she, I mean, she uses language of, of diving into the, the, the ocean of God and the, mer and the love and goodness of God and, and, and swimming in it and, or, or descending into the waters, you know, first the ankles and the knees and all the way up to you're just fully swimming in it. And, and, um, and it's flowery language, but there's a real sense of, um, of, uh, she experienced something very deeply. Um, and so, uh, she uses a lot of, um, kind of royal bridegroom imagery, spousal imagery. She draws heavily from the Song of Songs. Um, and so there's a real kind of um, bridal, what in the, in the literature of mysticism would be called bridal mysticism. Um, there, there are elements of that. 
um, definitely in, in, in her writings. And so um, she had heightened experiences that were, um, she made a real shift in, in, in some of Calvinist uh, kind of spirituality. And, and there was a, around sensing assurance of salvation, there was one method of you just kind of logically go through um, certain truths to come to the conclusion, yes, I'm assured of my salvation. Yes, I'm a child of God. She she uh, went away from that maybe older model to, um, and this is through the t- influence of Thomas Goodwin and his sealing of the Spirit teaching of, no, it, it needs to be a personal, intuitive um, download from God, not based on a mental, logical method and very much an experiential method. So when I talk about her as a Calvinist Baptist mystic, um, those are some of the reasons, uh, some of the other reasons that she uses a lot of the same language imagery, say as the author of the cloud of unknowing, which is a 14th century English um, work um, as well as John of the cross, who is a 16th century kind of classic teaching about the dark night of the soul um, and the uh, the dark night of the spirit, uh, the senses and the soul and the spirit. And she uses some of the same language, some of the same imagery, draws from the same passages as those writers do. And so there's a real, seems to be a real resonance. And at least that was an initial draw to me because I had been reading those writers um, in my studies. And I was like, who is this woman who's using some of the same imagery and passages and, and seems to be teaching some of the similar things. And not that I felt that she had any kind of like connection, direct connection to them. I don't think she was ever reading their works, but she was swimming in the same, in the same sea, so to speak. And yeah. uh, it, it seemed to me, yeah. And, and your question about a spiritual director. Well, a spiritual director is simply one who comes alongside another who is um, who is in need of some kind of counsel, who is in who is who could be going through an afflictive emotion or some kind of trial or tribulation. And it's a person who is coming with a word from the Lord, so to speak. Um, I mean, she talked about her book says, you know, I'm, I'm coming, I'm preaching Christ to you in private. Um, and so she saw all her letters that way. She saw her books that way uh, as a kind of a private teaching. Um, so she would get letters from various people that either Whitfield or whoever had connected her with or, or pastors in the area. And they would come to her and say, I'm, I'm struggling with assurance of salvation, or I'm struggling with this afflictive thought um, that um, God's not real or whatever it is. And, and they would come with a problem, just like the ancient, you know, desert fathers and mothers, someone would come to them in their cave <laughs> and say, I need a word, you know, from the, from the Lord. And, and she responded with um, uh, a, a personal application that she felt called to, to give to them in light of her spiritual theology that was very developed um, in, a, in a Calvinistic framework. Yeah, that makes sense. So I, I'm not the expert in this area, so tell me if I'm wrong as I think about sort of the taxonomy here of sort of mysticism. So when I think 
about Ann Dutton versus how I think of mysticism, I almost feel like there's sort of like two things where there's more of like an almost like a wordless anti-intellectual sort of mysticism where like everything kind of goes mm-hmm. blank and you're just like mm-hmm. feel naked and you're experiencing something. Whereas it seems like Ann Dutton sort of is an intense affection, um, but it's not like anti-intellectual. So it's not as if it's just no. emotional mm-hmm. only. So it's like, but it's right. not like this, you know, high Calvinism sort of thing that we've talked about where it's it's almost you make the logical deduction that you're assured there is mm-hmm. an affection or an emotional sort of experience. So it's like somewhere in the middle here. Am I thinking about where she's at, right? Yeah. So um, in, in kind of in mysticism, there is a cataphatic kind of mysticism and an apophatic kind of mysticism. So cataphatic is using images, uh, and there's a mysticism or a spirituality, just maybe maybe use that word right now, uh, that uses images. Um, there's an apophatic kind of mysticism that says images are, to you to borrow from Obi Wan Kenobi, <laughs> true from a certain point of view. <laughs> you know, so they're limited. Um, God is an ocean, yet God is not an ocean. Um, so the apophatic mysticism leans a little bit more heavily to words or pointers to the ultimate reality. Um, they can be helpful, but ultimately they're not sufficient. And so a lot of the heights of a mysticism um, that um, uh, would eventually take you there. Not all mystics do. Some mystics are very cataphatic and very love oriented, very heart oriented, very affective oriented. And Dutton would be an example of a cataphatic, affective, heart oriented mystic. There are some that are more apophatic and very um, more um, intellectual. Um, and, uh, and there are other examples you know, of that and, and Dutton wouldn't fit that category. So that's been a kind of a, a helpful framework um, to think of it that way. There's cataphatic and apophatic. There's also affective and this more, um, you know, intellectual uh, approach. Um, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I'm learning some stuff here about mysticism today that I didn't know before. Um, what would you say are some of the most uh, controversial aspects of her life? Um, in her ministry. I know that she had some disagreements with Wesley. Um, I think he, he he didn't like some of the things that she wrote. So maybe this is a good time to talk about that or any other controversial, um, elements. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably not a whole lot to say about Wesley. They corresponded. There's a series of letters that we have available. Um, and it really, it really boiled down to, she was Calvinist and he was not. And um, it's the same reason that Whitfield and, and Wesley eventually, you know, kind of kind of parted ways. Um, uh, Dutton was clearly in the more uh, Whitfieldian, you know, branch of the evangelical revival. And um, so it really boiled down to that. Um, I think he was intrigued, you know, by by Dutton. But he um, I think eventually he just stopped 
responding to her letters <laughs> and, and that was it. <laughs> and she responded by, you know, publishing some of her letters to, <laughs> to him. Uh, so it, that was a, an interesting relationship. Um, I, I would say, uh, a few things I've already mentioned were probably controversial in some in some um, parts of the evangelical revival and also the larger Christian, um, uh, larger Christianity. You know, her experiential biblicism that I've already mentioned, her kind of mysticism of the word, um, when it was applied to to like assurance of salvation kinds of issues, it was pretty harmless, uh, you could say, and, and could be very very, very helpful, um, to, to people. Um, when it got into other realms of life and, and, uh, as far as like God, um, telling a person to do something in, in, in time and space about decision-making and things like that, that's where it could be controversial. And there were, there are examples in the early evangelical revival, this kind of spirituality kind of led to some, some um some dangers some uh, excessive um tendencies and so that was a controversial thing um she t and this is an original her but um this is part of the the calvinist spirituality of her day sometimes some writers will talk about issues of eternal salvation and issues of time salvation and uh really the whole second part of her autobiography is about kind of time salvation, like the way that God is walking with the believer through time and, and guiding, uh, the believer. And, and she very much used this kind of spirituality and experiential biblicism to guide her decisions. Just like earlier, I mentioned about this kind of call to ministry. Um, and then earlier coming home from that prayer meeting, um, the word dropped in her mind, rejoice in the Lord, not in your frames. You know, so don't, you know, it's not, I, it doesn't matter how you feel about the prayer meeting, you know, rejoice in God, not how you feel about something. And that, so that was just a, this is another example, um, for her. Um, so, uh, that, that I think that was controversial in, in some aspects. Um, but it was, it's throughout all of her writings. Um, but it was very helpful. I mean, it was very much part of her spiritual direction. Um, that's also somewhat related to discernment of spirits. A lot of her spiritual direction kind of what in the classic language of, of spirituality is called the discernment, the discernment of spirits. Um, and so she kind of had some different rules, you know, for herself that she talked about in some of her writings. One was, you know, that which comes from God leads to God. You know, so if you find that this word that drops into your heart and mind is leading you to God, then that could be indication it came from God. Um, and, you know, so she had some little rules that she would kind of principles that she would teach others. Um, and then the last thing I'd, I'd, I'd mention, um, clearly her writing ministry was controversial. Um, she was writing as as a woman, as a um, as a lay woman. Um, and there were, uh, while there were some pockets of the evangelical revival that embraced her, clearly Howell, Whitfield, you know, many others, the publishers of the first, uh, evangelical magazine, um, 
early on, even before she really had a, 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 a strong presence of the evangelical revival, there were people who were um, complaining. So her, her very first work had her, had her full name on it, Ann Dutton. After that, the most um, would be A.D., her initials. Um, often she just signed her, her books as um, one who has tasted that the Lord is gracious. Um, so the people who knew her knew, you know, who she was. Um, but, uh, she, she went anonymous, um, you could say. Um, and so she had a somewhat anonymous, you know, public kind of, kind of ministry. Um, um, she defended her, her right to, um, write in, um, in one lengthy letter that was, uh, appended to the final part of her spiritual autobiography that came out in 1750. And, um, and so, uh, that was controversial. Um, and so I think she felt the pain of that, of having to be a little bit more anonymous publicly. Um, so, yeah. So another thing I'm curious about, you've mentioned how you've done a lot of work in just the history of spirituality in general. So I'm wondering, when we think about spirituality in the history of the church, I mean, is sort of Ann Dutton's sort of experience somewhat normative, or is it totally just all over the map where depending maybe location or temporally or or geographically might shape how your spirituality looks, or I guess maybe... I mean, it's probably denominationally, those sort of things, too, impact your spirituality. Like, where does she fit in to the greater tradition on spirituality? I guess that's my main question. Okay, yeah. Um, Well, definitely uh, your theological framework and... um, and geographical location it, it will definitely impact the the shades of your spirituality. But uh, but like I said, you know, earlier on, some things that drew me to her were some foundational, fundamental themes and images that she used that have been used since the beginning of of the the deep and developed. Um, spirituality, spiritual theology of the church, you know, going all the way back to Clement of Alexandria and Origen, the Cappadocian fathers and, and all these like, um, pivotal figures in in ancient Christianity. And then in some of these medieval mystics, like I mentioned, um, from like the cloud of a knowing or Julian of Norwich, um, who's also 14th century. Um, so, uh, there were things about her that felt very familiar um, as I had been studying the history of Christian spirituality. But at the same time, it was unique that here was a high Calvinist woman who was um, elucidating and communicating and transmitting some of this, um, these, the same I think experiences and ways to try to frame how do you how do you consciously walk with God? I mean, one of her most popular works is called Walking with God. Um, how how do you help a person do that? Is there a framework? Is there a itinerary? Is there a pilgrimage that has kind of 
consistent phases. And, um, and so, and she had that, she, she saw that she developed that. Um, and it was, I think fairly consistent with kind of the classic spiritual theology, uh, at least in the, um, the Catholic and Orthodox traditions of there's these phases of purgation, illumination and, and union or communion with God. And, um, and she had a, a kind of itinerary, you could say, uh, kind of a phases of spiritual development that you could pretty much plot, you know, plot right along, along that, you know, different emphases, um, uh, from a Calvinist point of view, one is already united with God. So it's not like, you know, one is trying to attain to a oneness with God as might seem to be an emphasis and more the, the classic, uh, itinerary, you could say <clears throat> for her, the, uh, the, the top rung of the ladder of, of, of ascent, you might could say is selfless service, um, to God, uh, for the glory of God. Um, and so it starts with a conversion and communion with Christ leads to a conformity um, with Christ and ultimately to a selfless, a call to a selfless service um, to Christ um, and, and the world. And, and so um, anyway, so that there's so that's that's what drew me to her, these these similarities. But it seems so odd, uh, like you know, both of you already kind of alluded to that this is coming through, um, a high Calvinist woman in the 18th century. Yeah. A a few minutes ago, you mentioned that her writing ministry was controversial among some and it was accepted by others. Um, and and I realize this is kind of a difficult question seeing as she lived a few hundred years ago. And, and, and in many ways, our context today is just totally foreign to her. Like she wouldn't even have some of the categories in place probably for the ways we talk about things when it comes to men and women in ministry. But do you think she would have any advice for um, Baptist complementarian uh, women uh, in the church today? Yeah. um, Well, I, I think, you know, what, one thing I alluded to earlier was one of her principles, you know, that which comes from God leads to God. Uh, listen then to the small, still voice of your beloved. Um, I mean, she had this understanding that um, we are all in the anointed one um, and that this anointing you know, flows down upon us all. We're all meant to partake in that same um, fullness. Um, and so, uh, she really encouraged people to you know, listen and obey the voice of God that's, that's coming to you. You know, the, whatever word drops into your mind and heart, um, for her, you know, don't listen to the outside voices, which might be family, society, even your faith community. Um, if it's seeking to limit you or tell you what, what, what you can't do, um, so, you know, out of, out of her conformity to Christ or communion with Christ, she focused on you're meant to serve. What is the service that God is calling you to? And it will be abundant. It, God wants you to have an abundant service. Uh, don't ever underestimate um, how God wants to abundantly bless you through the fruits you produce in whatever realm, you know, God calls you to, whether that's in private or public service. 
Um, so I, I think th that's at least, you know, without getting into some of the the theological and political aspects of of the role of women, um, that's where that's where her spirituality is taking her, um, and that's at least for her why she felt called to um, this public work. It was through a private teaching um, as a, as a spiritual director, but she felt called to it. And so um, I think those are some of the things that she would, she would have to say. Um, yeah. Yeah. So talk to me more about this public work that she's doing and how she's using her theological mm -hmm. mind and she's writing, like what are the themes and the important aspects that she's trying to communicate to others? What, I mean, are there big ideas? Are there, or are these more sort of situational stuff that she's addressing? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, it's it's both big ideas, um, but it's most it's mostly um, specific um, uh, personal issues. Um, and so the big idea is she's, she's trying to apply them, whether it's regeneration or adoption or crisis rule or bridegroom. It's all in the service of this person is having some kind of hang up, either mentally or emotionally. And, and so she has various ways of trying to help them identify kind of where on the spiritual journey they are. Um, uh, she one of her kind of templates comes from First John, where there's this imagery of there's babes, there's young young men, young adults, and then there's fathers or parents, and and there's certain dispositions that relate to each one, and there's certain issues each one moves through. A lot of her writings are clearly aimed at people who might be in the babes category or the, the young adult category. Um, and a lot of the issues she's addressing are, are really directed to people who are struggling with um, assurance of salvation, afflictive emotions, different kind of thoughts. And so she has different kind of practices that, that she might try to um, convey. Um, none of them that are totally original with her, but... Um, you know, but one, for example, she talks about watchfulness a lot and having a kind of a watch of the heart, which is a classic Christian practice of guard of the heart, watch of the heart. But a lot of her spirituality that's communicated and, 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 and counsel is how do you do that? You know, and how do you, how do you catch that afflictive thought at its first onset? And instead of battling the thought, and engaging that thought, um, how do you make a fresh act of faith to Christ? How do you come, how do you flee to Christ? Um, and you just bypass that thought and you just go straight to um, help, basically. Um, and so, um, so, you know, that's just an example of one of her kind of practices, kind of watch of the heart, watching thoughts, a holy resignation to Christ. Um, so that's uh, how she was serving the church through her theology and, and spirituality, I, I'd say. 
so we have a lot of listeners who are um, just totally all about anything that has to do with English Baptists. So I have a feeling that uh, a lot of people are going to want to start reading something um, by Ann Dutton. I was curious uh, if you had any advice on good places to start. I know there's the, I think it's six volumes uh, from Mercer University Press, which, I mean, that's a mm-hmm. lot. That, that's a lot to look at, um, you know, right at once. So it might be overwhelming for somebody to try to pick, well, here, should I start with her autobiography? Do I start with this treatise on the Lord's Supper? Like, where, where do you think is the best place for a pastor or a layperson who's just interested in getting to know more uh, about Ann Dutton and her writing? Yeah, well, I would say one of the first three volumes um, by uh, Joanne Ford Watson in that Mercer University Press. Um, the first volume is one of her letter books. And so, you know, it, it's an easy um, introduction because you can just read a, read a few letters and kind of get a sense of her spirituality. And, and um, it, it's a pretty... Uh, big letter book. Um, but, but you, there it's, it's bite sized, you know, with all the different letters you can just, you can enter into. Um, I would say walking with God, uh, which is in that second volume in the mercy university press series is another great book. That's really what launched her and the evangelical revival. Probably Whitfield clearly liked it. That's probably the work that John Wesley read initially, um, it was being read in the colonies um, because of Whitfield. Uh, so wa- a discourse upon walking with God, which is in that volume two. And the third is um, the third volume, which is all of her spiritual bi- autobiography in three parts. Um, it was written over a number of years. Um, the first two parts came out in 1743 and the third part, not till 1750. But the the one that's in that third volume of the Mercer University Press series is the complete autobiography. And at the end, she appended um, that letter uh, that she wrote um, about her defense uh, of um, the lawfulness of a woman appearing in, in print, mm. a defense of her writing. So one of those three, th- those are probably the best places to, to start, depending on, do you, are you interested in her as a spiritual director? Well, maybe go to the letters, yeah. you know, are you interested in her autobiography? Well, then go to the autobiography. If you're interested in her, like itinerary of the spiritual journey, then read Walking with God. So my question relates to more of the history of spirituality and as well as practical aspects of spirituality. So what are the resources in your mind? If someone wants to just learn, like, how has the church thought about spirituality, practice spirituality, and then maybe a more of a practical guide of like, I'm going to give this to my church member if they want to think through how to in, encourage their own spiritual growth? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I know from a, from a both a historical and theological perspective, uh, Philip Sheldrake has a few different resources that are on the history of Christianity, um, the history of Christian spirituality that have, um, been very helpful. Um, and, uh, uh, depending kind of on your background, um, and kind of how you might enter into an exploration of spirituality, what my first entry point was through Richard Foster, actually, um, his celebration of discipline. And then he had some other books out, um, later that talk about, um, these different streams 
of Christian spirituality that um, have each stream has value. Um, there's like the contemplative stream. There's the more of the holiness stream. There's more of the evangelical stream. And um, that was a book that was also helpful in kind of conceptualizing um, the um, similarities and differences between different um, streams or, or orientations. Um, and so um, some of those works um, by Richard Foster and Dallas Willard and, and the past have been helpful. Um, uh, Bernard McGinn is one of the leading scholars in in Christian mysticism. So for the historian um, and theologian out there, uh, there's lots of good resources um, from him. Um, so uh, my own my own interest is uh, has tended towards t the uh, the contemplative dimension of of Christian spirituality, and um, and so my my focus has tended to be uh, the sense that you know the big aha for me for those of you that out there that might not be as familiar with contemplative spirituality and what that that might mean um, the big epiphany for me was when I I was, I realized that the root word of contemplative is temple. And so contemplative spirituality or, or Christianity takes seriously this teaching that we are a temple of spirit. And just as the Jewish temple had chambers and precincts, um, so do we. We have different chambers to our being, so to speak. And and early Christianity referred to the heart as the holy of holies of the heart. And so a contemplative spirituality takes seriously that we're meant to be on this inward journey to the holy of holies of the heart um, as a priest, so to speak. And at the same time, we have, as we have this inward journey, we have this outward journey to be a priest um, um, to the world and, and to each other. And so for me, uh, contemplative Christianity and spirituality has been a way of, of really giving some strength um, to this idea that has typically been more of a Protestant tenet of the priesthood of all believers. Um, really, it's the priesthood of all people. We're meant to be priests to God, to each other, and to all of creation. And, and contemplative spirituality is a way of... of um, of, of, of giving some, some guidance and stages and some framework and, and, a, and a root image of thinking about um, how this can take place. And so um, there's various practices that might help one do that, that are uh, consistent even throughout Christianity and different streams and different uh, denominations and traditions. So Got it. Super helpful. So last thing I want to ask you, for those who are interested in following your ministry, your work, do you have a website or a location they can go to keep up, to get in contact with you if they're curious about stuff? Yeah. Um, our website at the Center is uh, www.thecenterfcs.org. Um, that's the Center for Christian spirituality, the FCS. And um, so we, we keep that up to date. It kind of gives you an introduction to um, who we are, what is contemplative worship. We do contemplative worship every Sunday. Um, 
communion is every Sunday for us um, as well. And, and so, um, and then various ways that we help people deepen their awareness of God and self. And um, so, yeah, that, that'd be the first place awesome. to look. We have some different resources out there here recently. Um, uh, we, we came out with a CD of some of our original music, contemplative songs. Um, it's called A Discerning Heart, Songs from the Center. And so you can find that you know, on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, and all that. So um, part of our ministry is writing new uh, contemplative worship music. And um, based on, a lot of it is actually based on kind of key figures in the history of Christian spirituality. Um, so there's a song inspired by Thomas Merton, Simeon the New Theologian, Julian of Norwich, uh, Francis of Assisi, um, few, Benedict of Nursia, a few different people. Um, Ann Dutton didn't make it on this one, but I do have a song based on Ann Dutton. Maybe that's for a, a, another, another album. Yeah, that'll, that'll have to make the next one. Um, but well, thanks, Dr. Shreddy. This has been awesome. This has been super informative, helpful, um, and really, really great. So I know all of our listeners are going to be curious to go find some of these resources. So go check them out. And everybody who's been tuning in, check out the website that he's got as well and the ministry they got got going on. And uh, thanks for listening to the only analytic Baptist and confessional podcast on the planet. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.